Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So Liz. Yes. We always start off Happy Hour with my telling you some good news of the day. Okay. And today's good news is there is a new pinup doll who is gracing the cover of InStyle Magazine. And it's not Michelle Obama. It is not Madonna. It is the good doctor, as he's called on the cover, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Okay, so I have been a longtime subscriber to InStyle because a long time ago when it started, because it is it's one of the newer magazines. It's not as old as Vogue or God Cosmos, just not I guess not even Cosmo, but like L. It's not that old. It was kind of a newer magazine. And the thing I like best about InStyle is that it wasn't political. It was literally just really much more focused on fashion and beauty. But in the last like five to 10 years, they have become such political assholes that I just don't subscribe anymore. So I'm happy to say that I'm not going to be getting a copy of Dr. Anthony Fauci um, in my mailbox on the cover of InStyle. I also think they've never put a man on the cover that I can remember. So... Not George Clooney? I don't think so. But, I mean, he doesn't compare to Anthony Fauci. (laughs) Okay, so here, and I hate women's magazines of all kind, but I'm sort of with you on InStyle. I liked that for a while because it it just had great photographs and the fashion coverage was really good. But um, I just want to see that. We don't need the fluff, right? And all these other articles were like, my confessional about my 10 abortions. It's like... I just want lip gloss. I want couture. I want to know about David Yerman jewelry. I do not need to know about your personal shit. Okay, go ahead, Julie. Well, you are going to learn than you would have learned more than you want to, I'm sure, about Anthony Fauci, who, uh, look, I don't think he has a strong sense of style. He certainly doesn't in this photo. And he's in a chair, like, on the edge of a pool, and all I envision myself is coming out of the pool. Would that? That's probably going to get me in trouble. I yeah. That we should probably cut that. All right, I'll cut it. No. I'll just put it. I'll just be like, I envision myself, and then beep. Oh my god. I'm gonna do that. Okay. Okay. So Liz and I decided to cut that out, but it's funny. It I don't want to get a tap on the door from Christopher Ray. they're already watching you they have a van van outside your house you know they have quite the dossier on julie kelly i'm sure (laughs) um okay but this speaks to uh, this guy is on the biggest ego trip and meanwhile 51 million people have filed for unemployment in the past four months because of him basically well all i you know I didn't know who he was before this, our pandemic, the China virus came. So I'm always sort of open. I'm like, okay, who's this guy? Let's listen to him. And now all I remember is that he came out, I think in March and made a video telling people why they didn't need to wear masks and how masks weren't going to protect them from the virus. And he made this long thing and he went and talked about all this. Don't you don't need a mask. A mask isn't going to protect you. 
And then all of a sudden, two and a half months later, now we hear we need to wear a mask. So this has nothing to do with whether, you know, the the mandate to wear masks. This is just like, I don't trust him <laughs> because he's a liar. And he basically said, well, we just said that because we didn't want people to go buy the masks because we needed them for hospital workers. Okay, well, you're a liar. So what other things are you saying for some other reason? You know, what other ways are you misleading right. the public? So, you know, I think his credibility is shot. And anyone who's intellectually honest would also say that he is very compromised for that. From, for that. There's no doubt about it, Liz. And I mean, I think that this was part of the um, the editorial that came out by uh, the um, Peter. Oh, no, I, I'm having a brain freeze. The trade rep. We might have oh, to Navarro. Peter Navarro. Navarro. <laughs> um, you know, it, there is legitimate and criticism of Fauci dating all the way back to January when he first downplayed the threat of this virus. Yep, that too. So he is being used, happily so, now by the Democrats and Never Trump Republicans and, of course, the media, now in Style Magazine, propping him up and completely overlooking all of his failures and mistakes and misleading information he's given the American public. I mean, this guy should be out of a job. He shouldn't be on the cover of InStyle or anywhere talking. Well, the left has always claimed for itself the mantle of the party of science. We're scientists. And yet they have this guy that's been busted uh, twice on major issues lying about very critical information. And I don't know how you can keep saying that he is a reputable messenger. And, And the left is very much... I think so many of their figureheads, it's very much like a hero worship celebrity culture, just like, well, the celebrities that pick up the left, too, where it's like, oh, he's dreamy. He's on the cover of a fashion magazine. I'm sorry. What self-respecting scientist would be on the cover of a fashion magazine? Well, let's talk about another clown. Oh, my gosh. Um, I know there's so many, but this would be Andrew Cuomo, who came out with a poster this week touting his expertise his uh, you know lovely handling of the coronavirus in New York State which accounts for about a quarter of the total deaths we know he condemned how many thousands of people to die in nursing homes and basically did everything wrong sort of like a Fauci but he came out with this poster that was widely mocked, which was great. Um, but to your point, when you say the China virus, he had an airplane on the left side of the poster that says European travelers, January to March, 3 million. So he keeps calling this the European virus, refusing to acknowledge the origins of the virus for some reason. How did it get to Europe? <laughs> Duh. The party of science, right? This poster was so... Did you see it online? I did see it. I didn't look closely at it. I saw it. I saw that it was mocked. So I felt like my efforts could be... You know, I didn't have to use my efforts to join in because it was being very sufficiently mocked. I mean, he, this guy is 
so delusional. He he's a danger. I mean, now he's bragging that there are hardly any cases in New York. And it's like, well, you killed everybody mm-hmm. who was at the most risk. I mean, you know, I mean, um, the large chunk of people that were most vulnerable are went out in the first wave. So But they're pretty not, still locked down, New York, aren't they? I mean I think the so. not anywhere close to opening. Well they're not they're not open, but they are allowed to hit the streets in mass protests Liz. where they yell and spit and stuff with their magic virus <laughs> molecules that travel and affect people. That doesn't happen during riots and protests. Okay. There's no science to show that COVID is transmitted in large public gatherings <laughs> where people are really close in to close each quarters. other for a no, long period no. of time. Zero. Look, I, I, as long as we keep our kids out of school, we're going to be okay. But the protests, those are safe. So this whole mask issue, as you just said, all of a sudden now, everywhere you turn, Democrats and Republicans are demanding that people wear masks. Because, Liz, this is what politicians do, right? When they don't have a solution to the big problems or even like the medium problems, this is the kind of garbage they come up with, right? So we can't figure out how to dig us us out of this huge economic hole that both sides and the president have created and the experts. They don't want to address and confront the teachers unions and the Democrats and the left who want to keep schools closed and keep everyone miserable up until November 3rd. So all they do is what? Tweet, wear a mask, wear a mask. Marco Rubio's tweet today, ridiculous. He has on what's not even close to being a mask. It's a cheap piece of cloth dyed in like the colors speedo? of the, <laughs> the Speedo bathing suit. <laughs> you think it's a mask. Oh, my God. Now I have to have that visualization. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> so, no, it's not even close to being a mask. And his argument, this is what the left does to and Democrats, like climate change. Well, what's it going to hurt? You know, what? what's it going to hurt to wear a mask? Well, that's not the question. First right, of all, the that's question not a mask. Is, does the government have the authority to force you to wear a mask? That's really kind of the issue. Right. And again, more rules that have never been subjected to any kind of public hearing, let alone a vote. We're living under rules that no one has even had to vote on. They're just well, decrees. If you go out, I know here I'm in Northern Virginia, um, we're doing okay. You know, we're not one of the surging areas. Um, but I, if I go out to like to a store, which is pretty much the only places I can go, um, to the grocery store, to Costco or something, Whole Foods, I see all kinds of clownery on people's faces. So I'm not sure that this stuff is effective in any way. There's like mm-hmm. dirty handkerchiefs. I see people gross. like touching their their mask with their fingers moving it around to putting it down putting it up so i mean it really it's a symbol of brokenness more than it's a symbol of your you know it's not effective it's not being done because it's effective i mean the you know the experts say that if you are positive and you don't know that it will help keep your poisonous breath you know confined maybe 
Maybe not, but a lot of people are putting stuff on their face that in no way looks like it's a, you know, a medical, a medically effective process. (laughs) I just don't, I see things and I'm just like, I don't know. But, you know, a lot of places here won't let you in without it. I think the governor made it mandatory, but even before that, there was a lot of stores that just had signs saying you can't come in without a mask. So... Right. And you do see that everywhere. And I just think most people wear it because they're afraid, number one, of being out of step with the crowd. And two, certainly there are a lot of stores and establishments you can't go in without a mask on. So they have it just in case. Um, I'll bet you that these businesses, I bet these businesses liability insurance probably mm -hmm. requires it, you know, Um, Because I know when I've gotten, I got a pedicure right when things opened up here because I needed one. And I had to sign a release. I had to, you know, I had to like give up my legal rights to things. um, Because these these businesses don't want the lawsuits to come. And you know there's going to be some ambulance chasers, you know, that are going to want to start suing businesses. for Because someone's going to say, I caught the virus in your grocery store in your restaurant in your salon so I kind of I kind of understand that you know I not not necessarily the mask qua mask but I understand why businesses would say look you have to wear a mask because they're probably required to take as many steps as possible to mitigate according to the um, consensus popular consensus the steps that would mitigate risk for catching the virus And so now we are going to torment our children as a condition of going back to school, if that's the case, into wearing, forcing them to wear some kind of face covering during the day. Kids who are healthy, who are not expressing any symptoms, even if they test negative, are still going to have to wear a mask for a population that not only a very teeny tiny percentage have contracted the disease, but there's no evidence that they can spread it to others. So this is what the teachers are claiming. Most teachers are claiming as a way to get out of having to go back to work. Aren't there studies actually in Europe that show there's almost no risk of child to adult transmission in a school setting? Yes, there are several. But, you know, we're, we're so beyond the point of science, of science and data and just common sense um that none of you know you could just talk about it and post this stuff till you're blue in the face and it doesn't get anywhere well I think this isn't a good um opportunity to think of the upsides of keeping kids in distance learning or I guess some some places have like two days you can go in Um, And then three days you do distance learning or just all distance learning. I think that it might actually be better to keep kids out of the public indoctrination system. And I also think that that there's going to be consequences for doing the same with college. Um, Because as you know, college is literally the worst place in the world for minting out new um, street street violent violent actors as mm-hmm. we've seen the last like month so keeping kids out of that environment for overall might 
be good. It might make people rethink that if they want to pay $50,000 a year tuition, when some, some, some like newly, newly minted revolutionaries in their pink chiffon childhood bedroom distance learning in their critical race theory class, you know, (laughs) are you going to pay for that? But it's also the same with the public school system. I think that parents who care about their kids' education will, I mean, it's not ideal, but they'll be able, they can find a way to educate their children without the public school indoctrination. And then for the liberals who, you know, are excited they've won a victory because they don't have to send their kids to school, then they're just, they'll just not get educated. You know, I mean, this is one of those things like Freakonomics, where there's going to be really weird consequences down the line for this. And it's sad that people are willing to make this kind of sacrifice for the immediate, their perceived immediate political benefit, that they think that this is good. The more chaos they can bring, the better chance they have of defeating Trump in the fall. That is what they're banking on. And And I I don't know if it's going to work. Well, I think so, too. Right now, it um, looks like it's working. No, it, it is working. People are frustrated. A lot of people have lost their jobs. Their business has been compromised. I think I read somewhere there's like 60,000 small businesses that are just never going to open again. Um, their life's work is destroyed. Soon, people will not be able to make their mortgage. They're, they'll lose their house. There are people that have all sorts of medical conditions that have gone untreated for four months because t- everybody's terrified to go to a hospital. So p- I think people are down every attempt Trump makes to move people in the right direction. The left comes back with a bunch of terror, you know, terror stories about this one kid who infected, you know, his 3000 right. child school and all the teachers and they're all dead now. And, you know, p- even people who are reasonable. I have a friend who's a teacher in Maryland and she was having a complete meltdown that she might have to go into school. And I'm like, if you really research this topic, you would see plenty of data that suggests that the, that, that the risk of going around children is very little that you're going to get infected. There was that video clip. I It was on a, maybe it was CNBC. It was one of them. MSM mainstream media outlets where there was like six pediatricians that one after the other said, I would totally send my kid back to right. school. I would totally send. My-. So it's like, okay, well that's a pediatrician, right? That's not just some schmuck, some inbred right-wing schmuck. Like they characterize us. These are pediatricians and they have no problem sending their children to school. So what about that? And, you know, but still they want to keep the hysteria going. It's very, um, you know, upsetting. And they're keeping the hysteria going largely by cooking the books, which we've seen that come out this week too, that oopsie, the not at all, not at all illegitimate 98% positivity rates coming out of certain labs in Florida. It was like 100%. <laughs> there were labs reporting 100. It's like right. an, the election of Saddam Hussein in Iraq where there was 100% turnout or whatever, or like Putin's election, 100%. Not a single person, no one was sick, no one forgot, nothing. Nobody couldn't get off of work. 100% of the labs, these labs reporting 100%, and nobody thought to be like, hey, that's kind of weird. Yeah, that sounds a little sketchy. Hmm, what could be 100% in life? Nothing. Um, 
so they're cooking the books as we suspected. Um, still a lot of people who test positive are asymptomatic, have no idea that they even had it, but they are definitely ramping up activity at these testing sites. I was talking to a friend yesterday at the testing site here in my suburb in Chicago. She's like, I drive past this location almost every day. It's completely empty. Then she drove by earlier this week. She's like, it's like wall to wall cars lined up to take a test. She's like, where did that come from all of a sudden? Now, it could be teachers, it could be healthcare workers going back to work here in Illinois, I don't know, but um, the idea that this is being targeted towards Florida, Arizona, Texas, obviously states run by Republicans, also states that they're hoping they can flip. My dog is barking. I hear that too. Um, I want to just point out one of the tricks that we've seen among the 100% positive trick is that the numbers that we're getting are about how many tests are positive or negative, not how many people are positive or negative, which means that if you're someone and you've taken multiple tests, because many people have to take tests regularly for their work, th- those go it those count to bloat up the numbers. I think a better representation would be how many people are positive, how many people are negative. Does that make sense? Well, it does. I mean, I think that that's what people, number one, want to know what percentage of people who are going in to get tested are positive. I mean, the breakdown should be who gets, who's tested, who is positive, who is asymptomatic and tested positive, who's sick but manageable like a flu or a bad cold and who has to go to the hospital I mean those are the figures that I think most people want to see well I think the media is representing the numbers we have to provide that information even though technically that's not what we're getting I mean I was reading some story about somebody in the hospital that was asymptomatic kept getting tested she got tested 15 times Every single time was positive. Now, I'm not saying that's everybody's case, but people are tested multiple times. So just saying there's, you know, 50 million positive tests doesn't tell you how many people have the virus. It just tells you how many tests have been taken. Right. Um, But you have these governors. I don't know if you saw. You have Cuomo on one side and you have this Mike DeWine, the lunatic fossil how old is that guy like 122 been around forever he's yeah if we don't have an example of the need to completely exhume the gop from these like propped up bernie you know weekend at bernie senators and governors like jeff sessions and mike dewine so he sends out this lengthy tweet thread a couple of them yesterday you know talking about the bible etc and ohioans and saying that 3,000 people in ohio have died of coronavirus over the past four months now that doesn't sound like a bad thing in a state of 12 million people but he's saying well this is more than we lost in the vietnam war what what's the point of that kind of hysteria yeah, well, of course, the point is to keep people, um, you know, uncertain, just, you know, ungrounded. I, I think that 
it's a political move to keep power because a lot of this stuff is about power and political maneuvering more than it really is about public health, you know? And in the beginning, we really didn't know what we were working with. We saw terrifying images out of China. We saw terrifying images out of Italy. We didn't really know what we were dealing with, but now we actually know quite a bit more. And anyone, any politician who is purposely trying to keep people off their off their feet and scare them is really just a public enemy. You know, in a time of crisis, a leader is there to calm people and keep their eye on the ball, not to rattle them and unnerve them and make them terrified. You know, we have so many unemployed people um, and we have people that don't are uncertain about their future. They're uncertain if they can take care of their families. And now these assholes are like, hey, let me make it worse. You know, let me scare you more. It's despicable. Yeah, it really is. And it's weird. Mike DeWine, I'm just looking now on Twitter. He keeps going after Florida. Do you think he's jealous that Ron DeSantis actually has a clue what he's doing? And Mike DeWine is like this nadering. Who is the Tim Conway character? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Mr. Tuttle. You remember Mr. Tudball and Mrs. Wiggins? That is what, that's who he reminds me of. Anyway, so he's going after Ron DeSantis again. (laughs) That's so funny. Oddly. Funny that I know that because I'm a big Carol Burnett fan. Oh, I love that show. Come on. True. I wish they don't make shows like that anymore, right? I know. (laughs) Good good old funny things. No funny things allowed. (laughs) Everybody's too sensitive. You might hurt someone's feelings. That's right. Everybody's feelings. We can't have that. So uh, who, again, we just keep saying this, who would have thought at the beginning of this year that this would be our reality right now? There was a Gallup poll that just came out. 50% of the respondents now claim identify as either strong Democrats or like, what would you call it? Lean lean, Democrat. Yeah, lean Democrat. Um, and 39% Republican. Now, earlier this year, it was flipped. And for the first time, the GOP had an advantage for the first time in a long time, a, G- a GOP had an advantage in voter identification. Who in their right mind wants to identify with the Democratic Party right now? That well, I'll tell you, people me. who are scared, <laughs> people who are scared not to, that's who. No, I'm not. I don't know how many people this is. You know, I don't know what percentage we're talking. I've always felt like there's a certain amount of secret Trump voters or shy Trump voters, as they, they're called, um, of people who don't won't say anything about their political leanings or just go along to get along because of social pressure. But I really only think that it's gotten worse since 2016. So I do think that it's safer for people to say that they are Democrats and not Republicans because nobody wants to go through the, as the Yiddish, in Yiddish we say, Mishagas. Nobody wants to go through the Mishagas of defending whatever insanity these opponents have read on the pages of like the Atlantic, you know, against Trump. And, and so I, I don't know what percentage of people that is, um, but I do think it's out there and I think it's more. There was a, an interesting poll that came out of Pennsylvania mm-hmm. recently about Trump voters. I don't know if you saw it, 
but it basically was about that a lot of voters think they're secret Trump voters in Pennsylvania. One way we find that out is when we ask people, you know, do you know who your voter, your your neighbor is going to vote for? Who do you think your neighbor is going to vote for? Because people do kind of know their neighbors better than, you know, just strangers and and in not all the all the cases, but in many cases. So there definitely is this perception that there are secret people who don't want to say they support Trump. And honestly, they don't want to say they're a Republican either. So. You know, I'm involved in groups that aren't political and I just don't even mention my po- politics. You know, I don't talk about it because I just don't need the grief. If I wanted the grief, I'd post on Twitter more, you know. So I, I, I do. I don't I think it's disturbing, but I don't think it's as disturbing about the Democrat Republican split. I'm just looking at this article that you cite. It's on uh, it was posted on Breitbart, Breitbart yesterday. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I tweeted out a poll today from one congressional district that's held by a Republican. It, uh, Hillary Clinton won this Pennsylvania district by two points. Um, the Republican, I believe it's Brian Fitzpatrick, the Republican leads his Democratic opponent 53 to 39. But Joe Biden is leading in that district allegedly 52 to 43 that's a huge swing yeah like how does that even make sense so to your point i think what a lot of people are suspecting is that the swing voters or republican voters are willing to say well yeah i'm going to vote for my republican congressman but i'm going to vote for joe biden no (laughs) that's rare that's very rare people usually do vote down ballot and um you know, they vote mostly straight ticket. So but this poll on Breitbart from Monmouth says that there's um, I think the number is 57 percent of voters believe that there are secret voters in their communities who support Trump but won't tell anyone. That is almost two thirds of voters say right. there are secret Trump voters who won't tell anyone about it. And 30 percent think think there's many Trump voters, not just like a couple of people. So I again, there's almost no way to quantify this. And there certainly is um, a hesitancy for people to put a sign up, to put a bumper sticker on their car, to post on social media um, the way that it's totally safe and and endorsed. I've seen my Democrat friends i guess if you can you know my friends are democrats they i know they post the craziest shit that is just totally conspiracy garbage they've read from like vox or the intercept mm. they and they they're shamelessly posting it you know it's just like they're they have no self-awareness i don't even post political stuff on facebook because it's just not i just don't have time to get in a fight with people and my family, I'm mostly I'm in touch with my family or just friends I've had my whole life. I do not want to get in a fight, so I don't do it. But the Democrats have no problem, you know, posting Trump was, you know, Trump's a Russian asset and, you know, he's Putin's bitch. And it's like they right. don't think that they're not worried about how that's going to be received. So um, it's it's people posting pictures. Oh, I'm, I'm handwriting postcards to send to Democrat mm, registered voters. Right. So they'll go out and vote. Do you think I would ever do that and be like, 
oh, I'm 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 sending free <laughs> Trump Trump 2020 stickers to people. No way. I would absolutely lose friends. I would get terrible messages. I probably have somebody come to my my townhouse. You might I'm gonna you might you. find you might find a noose in your garage. Yeah. Well, don't we all have a noose in our garage? I well, a couple weeks ago I revealed that the blinds in my office with that really long <laughs> string right. that it's so long that I kind of doubled it up, you know, to keep it from hitting the ground. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm looking at it right now and I could seriously if someone outside my family saw this, I would be in fair amount of trouble. I don't I hope you don't have any NASCAR drivers visiting your apartment anytime soon. No, no, not no time soon. I don't even watch NASCAR. Now I'm definitely not going to watch NASCAR or, he, or football or or any of these woke sports. I'm not watching it. I know. I just basically watch golf. That's it. That's just wait. You think that do you think that the mob is going to come for golf? Well, no. You know, the PGA at one of their tournaments a few weeks ago left the 8:48 tee time open in honor of George Floyd. And then my husband and I were watching, um, it's this great celebrity tournament every year in Lake Tahoe, really fun. And they had uh, <laughs> Stephen Curry talking to, maybe it was Charles Barkley, about how race affects sports. Like Stephen Curry, you play for a professional sports league that's like 80% black, but okay. Um, and how offensive it is when people call him articulate. And I thought, you know what, Stephen Curry, if that's your biggest complaint in life in this country, I think you're doing okay. So, Well, that's kind of interesting to segue into one of the more recent controversies. We have a controversy every two hours um, that the mainstream media manufactures. But this particular one was, I have to say, this was especially offensive. Um, The taxpayer subsidized... National Museum of African American History and Culture has distributed a infographic on uh, it's on their website, and Byron York um, has was kind enough to put it on Twitter. It immediately got, went viral. It's really one of the most offensive things I have ever read. It's the most blatant racist thing. I, I mean, a lot of times there's this sort of this polite anti-white racism from the left this is just full on we are you know absolute racism against white people but at the same time it inadvertently is racist to other i guess it is non-white that's the thing right do you remember (laughs) when um was it joe biden who said like barack obama was a clean articulate black man Mm -hmm. you know and he thought he was like giving Obama a compliment, but it's actually kind of an insult to say, oh my gosh, here's a black man and he can speak and he's not dirty. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait, what? He doesn't Are have you- dreadlocks. What? Yeah. And he's not a gangbanger. I mean, you know, he doesn't have a, you know, gold rings and, and chains around him and a gun sticking out of his pants that are all the way down almost to his genitals or whatever that fashion statement is. So this infographic is so obnoxious. It talk it's about it's called talking about race. And they're informing the public 
aspects and assumption of whiteness and white culture in the United States. So some of the um, attributes of white people, and I use air quotes. Mm-hmm. I wrote about this in my morning briefing today, my morning greatness. And I always use quotes because whatever white is, is sort of fluid to fit whatever specific point these people are, are making. I'm Jewish. Am I like also white? Well, it depends on when it can be used again, you know, how useful that is. So anyway, here are some features of whiteness, white culture and whiteness. Rugged individualism, self-reliance, autonomy. Um, individuals are assumed to be in control of their environment. Um, family structure, that they're being white means, you know, you you are, I guess, supportive of the nuclear family. Um, it's also, just, I don't know who wrote this. Like, I don't know if this got this information. It's like this cartoon caricature. Husband is breadwinner and head of the household. Wife is homemaker and subordinate to the husband. What planet these people come from? All my friends, most of my close friends that I see on a regular basis are conservatives. They, I can assure you, they are not subordinate to their husbands. Um, The emphasis on scientific method, like reason, rational thinking, linear thinking, um, that hard work is the key to success. You want to work before you play, um, you know, um, plan for the future, things about like you make plans for the future, you delay gratification, um, you know, bland is best. That's a phrase used. I mean, it's just like, it's like, are, if you, if, if you inverted this and say, these are features of the black community, I can't even tell you what would happen to you as a human being, or this is a taxpayer subsidized museum is putting this shit out and but but these these elements are it's so obvious that many of these things are the um features of success right hard work reason individualism be autonomous and now we're learning those are just white things so i don't know are people who are non-white like irrational, emotional, lazy, they don't work hard? Because that seems to me to be very racist. I don't know. What do you think, Julie? Okay, so I hadn't seen this. I saw it all over Twitter the last few days, but I've been so swamped with the book and just other work. I didn't get to that. So I'm pulling this up as you're reading it. It you're, It is reverse racism. It totally <laughs> is. I can't believe this is not like from the Babylon Bee. Okay, the funny thing being on right. time, being on time. <laughs> I mean, that right there feeds into such a stereotype, right? About yeah. people who aren't white. I mean, I know plenty of people who are white who are always late. And it's yep. a, but that is a certain stereotype of no, people of color. What? So to put that on there... No. <laughs> Self-reliance? Are you seriously? We don't want people to be self-reliant? Like, and that's just a white thing. That's not just like a a human thing. I mean, the purpose of doing this is to ascribe basically the virtues of Western civilization that have brought so much success and prosperity to the world, not just the United States, but to the world. And they're trying to say this is just 
these are just some random features of white people and they aren't actually have any relation to human excellence because the critical theory crowd pushing this shit don't believe in human excellence. They think that what you're determined by your race, whatever, even that, I don't even like that term race, whatever that means. People are very much influenced by their upbringing and their culture. So the idea that just being white and are you telling me that families in Asia, they're, they're not into the nuclear family or are you telling me in India, they're just not into the nuclear family? I mean, what, you can't be serious. <laughs> this is just awful. Oh my but God. But it's also this awful for funny. what it implies about yes. people who are not white. That's right. <laughs> like, okay. Steak and potatoes. Yeah. Bland is best. Yep. First of all, nothing is better than steak and potato meal. Sorry. I mean, I don't really find that so bland white, if it's cooked Julie. properly. So white. <laughs> well, then it goes to women's beauty, blonde, thin Barbie. Man's attractiveness based on economic status, power, intellect. Yes, you're right. I prefer a poor, powerless dumb. dumb. Who's not self-reliant. Yes, sign me up for that, hunk. You know? (laughs) Wait, where did this come from? For reals. It came from the Smithsonian. The um, (laughs) National African American Museum is part of the Smithsonian Museums. I think it came from like the Black Lives Matter (laughs) website, but, and they just like put in some infographics. But just listen, it's white to respect authority, you know, or, or to value goods and space and property as if something that you've worked for and purchased with your hard-earned money is shouldn't be of value to you like that maybe okay but this goes back to steve this goes back to stephen curry's criticism right Uh, uh, what is racist someone calling you articulate well you're basically just been told that the exact opposite right well that yeah i mean that articulateness is only a, a white thing. I guess if you're kind of if you're point. a person of color, you're obviously just spouting gibberish and mumbo jumbo because you don't speak, you know, artic in an articulate manner or in a reasonable manner. Um, it's this is just so offensive. I what I mean, I am not surprised by this, but I'm angry that this is a taxpayer subsidized propaganda operation that's what pisses me off um it's just action oriented um winner loser dichotomy it's like i'm sorry do you watch professional sports are you telling me that the people the athletes many of whom are african-american and very successful they aren't competitive i mean it's again this is something that's human nature this isn't a racial this is a human nature Right. This is like, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. White like people. This, you mean this, white people. Effective white people, Julie. It cut. Yeah. You know what, Liz? At some point, and I'm figuring we're kind of getting there because you're seeing some backlash. Black people are going to start to resist this kind of um, discrimination, right? They 
know a lot of black people want to be promoted or be known as successful or achieve success based on what they've done, the work that they've done, how they worked their way through school, how they got an education. They were the first person maybe to get their education or a higher education, college degree, et cetera. They want to earn their success that way. A lot of, well, everybody, but a lot of people of color. So to make these assumptions and it's degrading to my minorities, it's degrading to people of color to dismiss all of their hard work and their own goals and the sacrifices that they make for themselves and for their families as something that just white people do. Well, I mean, look at look at the Harvard admissions. Look at who has the highest SAT scores as a ethnic group. It's Asians. It's right. not it's not white people. It's Asians who are in math and science with good grades, you know, who have succeeded at the most difficult disciplines. It's it's Asians. Or it, people from India who come here for education. So wh- where did that come from? If they weren't raised in foreign countries where there's white people, where did their, um, you know, where did their intellect and hard work come from? According to this, that's just a white thing. You know, I yeah. mean, I, I just think this is so outrageous. But this is part of the destabilization of America that the Democrats think is going to help them get rid of Trump in November to denigrate white people, to make them afraid to say anything like, hey, don't say that. But then if you do, you'll get canceled or it's racist. Nobody wants to be called a racist, but now everybody's being called a racist for anything they say, even if they come out and awkwardly say something or they misspeak or, you know, it's like eggshells. You know, when I was writing about this this morning, I was so careful because I was like, well, I I can say something. People who know me will know what I mean. They know I don't mean any offense by it or, um, you know, I'm, I'm not a racist person. But, you know, that's not how things work anymore. It doesn't have anything to do with my intention. It has only to do with the effect on some third party and how they perceive it. And so. Um, you know, this is part of dehumanizing white people, just like they dehumanize Trump voters and also just keeping keeping this this civil strife going that they think is going to pay off in November. And you know what? If Joe Biden wins, this isn't over. This is just starting. Right. You know, this right. isn't going to be like, OK, I guess we can all go back to our corners now. No, this is irreparable damage that's happening right now. So well, they, and Liz, it doesn't just dehumanize whites, it dehumanizes people well, of color, de- well, dehumanizes blacks. Well, well, the people that realize it, yes, it dehumanizes everybody right. by putting them into little boxes and assigning them attributes um, by some third party who has an agenda. So it does. But the problem is there are people, look, who is leading this Black Lives Matter shit and this big political upheaval it's freaking self-hating whites you know right. it's it's not even you go into you mean you're in chicago well and i wouldn't say go to the south side but i mean theoretically go to the south side do you ask those those people those mothers with children do you want the police to not come here anymore and not be right. here they want the police there yes they, they do people want the police it's just a fringe minority of of white guilty people or Marxists 
who want to seize power. And this is just a gimmick and it's a way to destabilize the country. So you can get Biden and you can get your Democrat Senate and your Democrat House if you think that people are just going to sit back and be like, okay, I guess this is the new normal, you are sadly mistaken. Well, let's talk about some people who are trying to help Joe Biden win in November and the Democrats take over. And that is the group known as Never Trump. They've been in the news a lot this week. And they are <laughs> that particular group, the Lincoln Project, populated by Liz could you put together a bigger bunch of losers? Like this is the misfit table at the wedding reception. John Weaver, Rick Wilson, Steve Schmidt, George Conway. They are people who could not find dates, who don't have friends. Like, And they're Republicans whose phone calls would never get returned when they called the White House after Trump got into power. Right. They're spurned. So, it's like a, they're like spurned, a spurned woman. You know, like, <laughs> that's what they are. What, but here, did anyone ever return Rick Wilson's phone calls no. before 2017? You know, I didn't really, I vaguely knew who he was because he was on Twitter. So I would see him and I thought, oh, this guy does local races in Florida. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know, I didn't know him to be like hyper connected to the, in the G, in the Republican Party. Maybe that's just my limits, but he was just a Twitter person. But he's the most, I think, outspoken of them. Um, I would almost say kind of like unprofessional, just the way that he's on Twitter was was on Twitter. So out like as as the mascot of the movement, more so than these other people that were more behind the scenes. But, um, you know, and the people behind the scenes are the ones who normally would be the ones that would be called in for, you know, to have meetings with the president, advise the president on issues like the Bill Crystals, although he's also probably has a Twitter addiction, um, you know, things like that. So, um, yeah, I find this this whole thing very this whole phenomenon, these Republicans against Trump who are paid for by Democrats and also working to, like, get the Senate to the Democrats. And I'm like, in what way are you? at all a Republican anymore. Like what, how can you possibly even say you're a Republican? I don't know. So what came out this week is, um, well, Ben Howe, who another, what have you ever done? Um, so Ben Howe and Rick Wilson actually had a GoFundMe page together a few years ago. They were going to produce a film about bad orange man. Not really sure what happened there. It never materialized. God only knows what happened to the funds. But um, so Ben Howe was hired to be the video editor for these videos that Lincoln Project is putting together. But he got himself fired after a series of his tweets were posted, not by anyone on the right, but by this left wing. What's it called? The digital dot daily dot or something. Oh, okay, Yeah. Daily dot their tech blog. Okay, and so these weren't even because Ben Howe has been on some uh, some people's radar screens. Uh, in fact, when those tweets were posted, I thought I knew who posted them, but it wasn't him. Um, so these weren't even really his bad ones. But he was finally he was let go, and then Rick Wilson was ambushed on a Stephen Colbert like parody 
interview show, which I didn't even know existed, but it was pretty hilarious. Did you see that? I did. We should play. We should play a clip of that here. Okay, you can't. You can't tell me that. Like when we're <laughs> in the middle of the show. That's why I call you the day before and go, "Hey, what do you want to talk about?" So I can get ready. So you can't Whoops. be like, you know. I know that when people listen to radio, they just think Rush walks in. He has no papers. He sits down and he just goes. And there's like you know, tells people, get this clip, play this clip. And they're like, oh, of course I have it ready at hand. No, 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 no. It's like, it's like the models that have all kinds of things bandaged, pushed up, clipped in the back. And you just never see that. Like that's wigs. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But that was a great ambush. I mean, I have to say that was pretty, that was pretty vicious. And it seemed, I was a little surprised because it seemed like, I had never heard of that show either. I don't, I don't watch Stephen Colbert. I'm not a fan. I don't know what he's working on right now, but I watched that and I thought they seem really ungrateful that these Republicans have raised all this money and to help get rid of Trump. Like, but that gives you a sense of these people are not really your friends, even if you work with them to get rid of Trump, because it's like, the, the the fake Republicans think like eat me last, you know. If I I'm principled, I'm not always going to side with Trump because I'm going to say what's right and wrong. I call balls and strikes, and it's like you get no credit for that with these people. They're going to wipe you out. You're a useful idiot. You're going to be the first one to go. You know, <laughs> you are. That's it. So, and you can see the left, the Democrats, turning on Never Trump as they're starting to get attention because, like the Stephen Colbert, and I can just link that interview when I send this podcast out because it really is a must watch confronting a lot of these George Bush, George W. Bush administration officials, which for people who just started paying attention to politics in 2016, 2017, I mean, the left hated George W. almost as much as they hate Donald Trump. They pretend that they like him now and they're like, oh, look at him link arms with Michelle and Barack Obama Mm -hmm. and Bill Clinton. And oh, they called Bush Hitler every two hours. They They wanted him like at the Hague. They wanted him and Cheney and Rumsfeld at the Hague charged with war crimes and like sentenced to death. They called him Chimpy McCalliburton. Remember like the signs (laughs) were like Bush, but with like a Hitler mustache, Bush, Bush is Hitler, Bush Hitler. Like this idea that Bush, they miss Bush. You know what? Get fucked. I remember you hated, you hated, but you did the same thing to Bush and Bush kept caving to them too. Remember how many issues Bush caved on thinking that it would be like, I'll give them something or we'll, we'll sit down, we'll negotiate, we'll come to an agreement. And it's like, your mistake, your mistake is that thinking that these people are interested in coming to an agreement. They're only interested in obtaining power. This isn't about any of the policies. It's not really about amnesty. It's not really about the education system. It's not really about the virus. It's about power. Right. Or race. It's that's it. It's just about power. But right. but the but these Republicans or fake Republicans or wannabe, you know, Republicans against Trump or the Lincoln, <clears throat> the Lincoln clan group or posse, whatever. <laughs> I mean, they may they may ha- hate Trump and maybe they're satisfied with being like this, the the figureheads for the losers. Right. Like a lot of people in the Senate, you know, like the Lindsey Graham's and the Mitch McConnell's. They're perfectly happy 
being like the leaders of the minority party. You know what I mean? That, that, right. That's that they're that's that's not that's fine with them. And that's the same thing with, I think, a lot of these Lincoln Project people is that they're out of influence. They're not. So they have a different kind of celebrity right now. But when the left takes power, I mean, what's going to happen to these people if Biden wins and the Democrats take the Senate? What where will they get their paychecks from? Like, I get that, that question come? all the time as I'm doing all these interviews for my book, Disloyal Opposition, available now Available on at Amazon. Amazon. <laughs> um, so this is the question I get a lot. So what comes next for number, Never Trump? If Biden wins, their role as useful idiots is over. They will be completely shunned, mocked by the Democrats as they were before 2016. They need Trump to stay in office. They're political parasites. He is their host. Without Trump, they are going they're back to political no man's land. They will be completely uh, ignored and shunned by the left. They will forever be held in contempt by Trump supporting Republicans. So what's their next move then? What, Even if Trump wins, Liz, how do they keep it? <clears throat> I, their I, influence? That's the currency of politics is influence. What? Do you think that 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 the Democrat senators, the Democrat House members or President Joe Biden or whoever is his stand in, because certainly he isn't going to be doing anything. Do you think they're going to pick these people are going to pick the phone up and take their calls? Do they think they're going to get cabinet appointments or something or put on? No, they've made it clear that they won't. They I mean, these Democrats have made it clear you are only useful up until this point. And in fact, I was uh, wrote a few articles when they were getting heavily involved in the primary. They were encouraging independents and Republicans in non Well, of course, Trump didn't have a primary. So they were encouraging voters in states, early states, to pull a Democratic ballot and vote for Biden to make sure that Bernie Sanders wasn't the candidate. Well, this fueled all sorts of outrage and outcry from the Democrats, basically saying, hey, you're fine on in the Washington Post and MSNBC beating up Trump, beating up, you know, Devin Nunes, beating up congressional Republicans or Lindsey Graham. We don't want you in our sandbox, though. You stay out of our our business. You well, just I think, do that job. Yeah, I think that's what was behind that Colbert <clears throat> segment is that these people are actually kind of angry that the principals in the Lincoln Project are making so much money and they're taking the money away from the actual Democrat operatives that normally make money like this, you know, um, that I think if I remember that clip correctly, they were talking about how much money was spent on actually, um, you know, deliverables that are, I right. guess will move, move the ball. And a lot of it is paid to these consultants, other companies, their LLC. So um, this is a reason a lot of people in the Democrat Party don't like David Brock. As you know, David Brock, former Republican, turned, is a Democrat, big Democrat, owns a lot of things in the Democrat machine. A lot of Democrats really don't like him because he sucks a huge amount of money for his personal gain. And I think that there is a lot of animosity towards these um, uh, Lincoln people because they're also, they're taking money away from Democrats. That's just my 
That's right. So here's the lowdown on the Lincoln Project. So just like these Never Trump groups that I have covered, the Bill Crystal groups especially, are mostly funded by Pierre Omidyar, the founder of eBay, a left-wing billionaire tied into, you know, the Bloomberg Soros crowd, that that group of left-wing tech billionaires. So um, the Lincoln Project, according to Open Secrets in an article yesterday, has raised almost $17 million just in the past few months. 45% of it coming from donors, $200 or less. Sure, we'll wait and see that. Some of the biggest contributors, billionaire investor Stephen Mandel, uh, a longtime backer of Democratic groups, gave a million dollars to Lincoln Project. Bain Capital ex- executive Joshua Beckenstein uh, donated 100000 He and his wife have given more than $6 million, mostly to Democratic causes during the 2020 cycle. Um, David Geffen, millionaire, uh, well-known uh, Democratic donor, gave $100,000 to the Lincoln Project. So did Amos Hostetler, another major Democratic donor. Uh, retail developer Joseph Camper, 75000 And let's see, who else here? Looks like those are most of the Democrats who have given money. So I guess there are a few Republican donors here. Jeb well, Bushbacker, David what, Selden. I don't, what I don't know are the name. policies of these people that allows them, like, or that makes them say that they're Republicans? You know, like, where, where is that? Like, what's their, like, what Republican policies do these people share, you know, hold that makes them Republicans? You know, that they think that they have some common ground with the Democrats. What it, What is it? Um, is it, are these pro-life people? Um, you know, are they, what, 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 I, I just don't understand how, if you're trying to get Democrats put into office, how you can say you're a Republican, because even if you don't like Trump, and I've always said this, I understand why people don't, don't like Trump as a person. Maybe they don't, they think he's, he's not a polished, practiced speaker, the way that politicians are slick and smarmy and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But so I understand why people don't like Trump as a person, but Trump has actually advanced conservatism quite a bit, much more than I expected, and certainly more than right. George W. Bush did. So what is it that you believe that Trump hasn't advanced? You know, like, what is it? I mean, is it I guess it's immigration, but that's not. Is that a Republican value anymore? Or I don't know, this open borders, is it, you know, this free trade he that the that these folks continue to want American businesses to get ripped off by, you know, predatory foreign countries putting tariffs on our goods, but we're not supposed to put tariffs on theirs, you know? What what is it? That that I just don't understand. Well, I think the threat to Trump, um, that he posed, especially to these neocons, as much as Trump is dismantling the Obama legacy, he is completely crushing the legacy of the neocons. So from these trade agreements to endless foreign wars uh, to, you know, conservative compassion, uh, compassionate, compassionate conservatism, uh, you know, more illegal immigration or just more immigration, period. So that whole George W. Bush agenda that had been fueled by the neocons now just kind of lays in a pile of rubble. And Donald Trump was the one who first started it. I mean, when he stood on that debate stage with Jeb Bush, 
looked him straight in the eye and said the Iraq war was a huge mistake and the people were American people were lied to about weapons of mass destruction. That had never been said really out loud in the Republican Party, even though plenty of people knew that that was the case and that it was a losing dead end war. But when he said that so publicly, that was the big threat he posed to the neocon legacy of of the George Bush era. And that's why you see there's a new, another new pack, 43 officials uh, for Biden. So it's all the George W. Bush people who are coming out to get Biden elected. Same kind of thing they did in 2016. This isn't really original. Um, they're just kind of recycling this losing playbook. And I think it backfires in a way because it reminds the Trump base what they traded in when they elected yeah. Trump, right? Yeah. We traded in George Bush and the neocons for Donald Trump. We have no intention, most of us, of going back. Well, that's the interesting thing, right? Because the implicit understanding is that once they get Biden in and get the, the Senate full of, you know, to be Democrat, a Democrat entity along with the House, they think that they'll be back in charge of the Republican Party. And it's like, that is a mistake for them to think that, you know, they think we'll just rewind and we'll just put Jeb up in 2024, you know, so we'll go back to normal. And it's like, if you think the Democrats are ever going to let the Republicans get in power again, you're mistaken. I mean, they should just start calling themselves Democrats because right. if they think that they're Republicans and they are going, they're the heirs of the GOP. Once we get rid of Trump, who's just an aberration, that is a gross miscalculation by that by them i think oh i think so too i mean you definitely have people wait there are plenty of republicans as we know especially in the senate who are happy to go back to those days the marco rubios and you know i'm sure nikki haley would be uh, she's not in the senate obviously but you still have that brand of bipartisan ish we can find common ground republicans are they going to be able to win once Trump is off the national political stage? That will be the real test, right? How stupid are you if you think that there can be some kind of bipartisan agreement anymore? There's how stupid are you after this shit for four years to think that these are some people acting in good faith? that the Democrats are good faith actors. I know. Absolutely not. You have to be such a fucking moron to think this. I don't even know. I don't, I'm, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say to that. You cannot possibly think that these are people you can reason with on issues or come to some consensus. Right. There's none. Anyway, we are at over an hour because <laughs> we're just like a fountain of information. Um, and, and anger and love, anger, but love and happy and happy, happy hours. It's happy. So we'll be back. Have a great week. We'll be back next week. And I can't wait for you to tune in. Bye. Thanks for listening to happy hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week.